with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, good morning. Uh, Trudy Claussen here with uh, with my, well, I've only got a half hour with my guest. And uh, today we, we turned the tables on Andreas Krebs, uh, also known as Rez. Right? Usually known as Rez. Usually yes. known as Rez. Since birth. Since birth. Oh, okay. So they gave you a name and, alright. Anyway, so I, so it was funny. I came into the studio and, and, and Rez was going to sit in my chair. And <laughs> yeah, the table has literally turned here. I'm on the opposite side. You are. Which is kind of fun. <laughs> um, alright. So I'm going to try really hard to grill him, but I mean, it's really hard because I, um. We have so much respect for each other, we, right? We do, you know? even though we disagree a lot, but. But but we I don't know it's one of those magical things so which I really enjoy because it's nice to have an argument with somebody that you respect exactly I mean that's that's I feel like that's what we're trying to do here at CFIS a lot of the time is demonstrate kind of good behavior in democracy Woo-hoo! right oh my goodness civil discourse Gosh. having conversations being able to disagree without hating someone Gosh yeah. Well, I didn't, that wasn't on my topic list. <laughs> but truly, it's very true, and we're not even, this isn't, we didn't even rehearse that. But, um, okay, um, lots of developments. We're going to be talking about forestry, lots of, sure. massive amount of developments lately. Uh, stuff in the news. Uh, my goodness. Uh, uh, now, why do you think that it was like, what does, what does Andreas know about forestry? Um, I, I don't know a lot. We'll start oh, okay. there. However, okay. <laughs> um, I, I work in the kind of the, I would say the reconciliation space. So a lot of government to government negotiations, like that word gets thrown around. People don't actually know what it means in my, no. in my kind of world. Uh, reconciliation can mean trying to address some of the wrongs of the past. That's obviously huge, very important when, um, when the, when we're talking about negotiations between the province and or the federal government and First Nations, often what we're talking about is actually reconciling crown and aboriginal title, um, which I like to say, basically, the province doesn't have the receipt for the land that we apparently own here, right? Uh, right. That's, that's the main issue that's being addressed here. And because of where we live, forestry is a big part of that. So if you're talking about... Um, actually like rights that are enshrined in the constitution section 35 aboriginal rights what we are seeing through both recognizing recognition from the province itself and through case law like the the blueberry or yahe case recently that we just had an announcement about um what we've got is recognition that industrial development like forestry even though an individual permit let's say does not have an impact on Section 35 rights, which are, which are kind of like, uh, ability to, to really practice the, uh, a First Nations culture, which includes things like harvesting, right? Yeah. Um, even though that one cut block isn't going to do it and therefore it's been permitted, the cu- cumulative impact of lots of cut blocks eventually do, right? So like recently, and those, these numbers are out of date, but recently we saw, for instance, over about a 20-year period, a 75% reduction in the moose population just west of here. Um, we, we see um, the potential, uh, the word extirpation means like all the, this kind of animal dying out in a given region, not being extinct, but no longer living in a place it used to live. So we've got extirpation of um, 
Fisher, which is a, a very large fur bearer, yep. plays an important role in the ecosystem, but lives in a lot of like what they might call decadent forest, like um, the word decadent coming from decay. So like old kind of grubby forest that is not really that good for for much that might get chewed up and turned into pellets, for instance. <laughs> yes. Is a really good place for certain kinds of animals to live, right? So, yeah. Okay, that's okay. That's how forestry kind of goes into the the First Nations government politics stuff, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I want to go a little bit, but don't let me distract the whole conversation here because I just, uh, this morning I was listening to Ted Binaba, a history professor from UNBC, uh, talking about the uh, uh, Hudson's Bay journals and that pre-1900, there were only very rarely moose here. Right. However, that does not, um, it's, so it's interesting how these these populations do migrate and stuff. Do you want me to talk about sure. those changes? Yeah. So, I mean, we have caribou in this region are now on the Species at Risk Act, the, right. the Sarah list, right? Yeah. And there has to be a plan for their recovery. Yes. They are there because of forestry. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of it is because not even just removing their habitat, um, but just the roads. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because, and that's what's enabled moose to kind of move up here is that actually they kind of take over where caribou used to live. Oh. Yeah. And they'll, uh, and because, and this is, it's kind of like a, it's a, like a domino effect, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not a biologist. I say this all the time. Like I, I name all the professions I'm not. <laughs> uh, I'm a political scientist, but I, I don't have, I don't, I know this from biologists who have told me about it. Um, so caribou, don't have the range they used to are very sensitive creatures. Right. Um, and have a specific, like a very specialized diet. Uh, the moose move into places where they can live, but caribou can't like actually moose really new need like newer forests, a mix of new and old, um, what they call a young oh, cereal. Okay. Yeah. Cause they got to eat the, the young shoots of willows and and birch and deciduous stuff like that. This is why mm-hmm. spraying is so bad for moose because it kills all the deciduous trees, right? Or even brushing can do the same thing. So moose are moving in. Wolves are following the moose. Yep. But they don't follow caribou? They do now. Oh. Because you have a lot of... The, the patches, like a caribou is so sensitive. Like what I've heard is that they won't go within a kilometer of a road, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're very... Their main... Uh, protective kind of instinct has been to just hide. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, driving out to Salmon Valley um, on the Johnson Straight stretch there, you can see them at a distance on the field. Wow. But but never Uh, close to the... You might be thinking about elk. Is that maybe elk that are in the field? Oh, golly. Yeah, because caribou aren't going to be found in a field. No. Unless there are, like, those big herds in the north. We're talking about mountain caribou here. They live in pretty dense brush. Yeah. Oh, golly. Unlikely. Unless it's a... There are farmed caribou, but... Mm, No. So then it's elk. Yeah. Uh, the um, So you have this kind of like knock-on effect. And then like, of course, I don't know if you if you pay attention to the kind of policies that are in place to protect caribou, but they include shooting wolves mm-hmm. because, well, we need to get rid of and And of course, once you start reducing a predator population, they, they ramp up their uh, reproductive capacity. It's, it's a... <laughs> It's a crazy game we're playing right now, right? Well, um, gosh, I mean that brings us. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just talk about everything. We will, yeah. Let's try, <laughs> let's try to get some cohesion here. Um, uh, 
Let's talk about, okay, so you explained reconciliation in the, in the sense of reconciling crown and indigenous title. interests, title. Um, okay, so, and with the, the, I guess the one thing that, I mean, that's very obvious here is that, and, and there's a lot of people arguing right now, especially with all the mill closures and, and with, what seems to be a bit of a, a pillaging impact of these massive corporations logging here, but not going for the long-term future of our of our region and for the benefits of the region. I mean, what, how do you? So, what role can our current efforts on reconciliation and on recognizing indigenous title play in improving that, like the return on like the return or the not the return, but but to benefit us locally more rather than, you know, shareholders that live in New York or whatever. Right. I mean, I got to be careful about, um, I have, I have personal opinions, but I also have like clients who, who have relationships with a variety of different, um, players in this economy. So, um, my, the main thing I think that's important for, uh, people to understand about this process is that for the first time in a lot of cases, uh, First Nations are are becoming part of the decision making process on their own territory, right? Yeah. So they have been, even though um, listeners might be familiar with the word consultation. Yeah. Like since two thousand four, this Haida decision, there has been a requirement, a constitutional requirement for uh, industrial players to consult with First Nations on mm-hmm. on industrial activity in their territory. But that's often just a fax machine spitting out a, a plan for a cut block, for instance, right? Yep. And whether or not, I mean, most of my clients um, do not see that uh, consultation as having much of a, as actually being serious, mm-hmm. right? Many of them have said, no, you can't go there That for X, Y, Z reasons. Maybe it's, there are uh, a number of, say, culturally modified trees in the area. It's an important hunting spot. There are a lot of berry, pa- like reasons why they would say no, uh, and their experiences, all those reasons are are ignored yeah. much of the time. Okay, so in terms of forestry, is there, is there a place where that can work together? Like where First Nations concerns, Indigenous concerns in their territory can work together? For, uh, for instance, I just because you mentioned berry picking, and I know that berries only grow where there's been... I think what what's the thing? Um, seven years after I, a I fire, know, I think that's the general idea. Yeah. So, so is there a place where that can work together? Like the um, the the concerns of of industry in terms of getting a viable, uh, financially viable product, and then also First Nations concerned with the land use and the rotation of the crops and all of that kind of stuff. I think it's just starting. This is what the processes that we're talking about now. Like there are four. Uh, pilot projects in the province right now that are looking at developing what they're calling forest landscape plans. So a plan that incorporates, like, not just, obviously, First Nations are kind of a key component here because they, they are rights holders. They hold, they hold specific rights in the landscape. Um, other, what we would call stakeholders, ranchers, licensees, forestry licensees, and the general public who has an interest in both the economy, the economic development, but also, for instance, recreation and food provision. Same as same as uh, First Nations. Like, there's a lot of overlap in the interests yeah. of 
our indigenous neighbors and our, you know, us non-indigenous folks, right? Um, so these forest landscape plans are, are currently at work. They're all pilots. There's one happening um, in the Lakes District, so further okay. west from here. Uh, and they're bringing together all these interests and trying to come up with a way that, that can um, really ensure like long-term access to fiber that doesn't overly impact the landscape so that we can think about the future a little more because the practices that, that have resulted yep. from like that are really the result of the mountain pine beetle epidemic or infestation, um, you know, massive harvesting and then replanting of monoculture. We're seeing the, we're seeing the negative outcomes from that in terms of forest fires, in terms of the lack of biodiversity, right? Like, and some of those places, some of those um, places where we've seen, we've got a replanted um, monoculture. Uh, yes. I've heard people say that even down to the fungus in the in the ground, which is so essential for plants to to really thrive, that's dead too, right? Like there's there there's a lot of um, potential negative impacts from industrial forestry that we're just starting to see. So how how is this different than what? Um like what's different here compared to parts of Europe? I mean, where that is completely managed. Like, are we just at the beginning of that process where we're managing that, or is what we're aiming for here to be something different than what Europe has? I have, I really, I, I can't speak to Europe. I don't know really anything about what's happening in Europe, other than what the panel tells me <laughs> on Friday morning, or you know, I know a few people who are foresters who have talked about that model. Um, yeah. It is intensely managed, and it's managed for specific values. Yes, and I think that's the that's the key here is that well, what values are we going to manage for, right? And who's going to be at the table when we talk about what we're managing for? Yes, well, and that brings me to um, who's at the table. Um, just the nat- like the natural resource forum that took place last week. Um, I know I was at the the one that I've been at before was just before the pandemic, and. I know that I was like, oh, there's a lot of indigenous people here. And there were even more this time. And they were certainly part of virtually every panel. Um, there was a lot of indigenous uh, uh, speakers. Um, and it seemed very much, to me, the atmosphere was, was very much, okay, this is where we're at. Um, and, and we will be consulting properly with um, and, and, you know, it'll always be some will do it better than others. But it seemed to me that that was where industry was at but my what the way where i wanted to go with forestry especially is do you think do you think it can work with these agreements can work with massive companies like canfor or do you do you think that we should be going towards something more like the uh, forest timber land sale or forest timber sale uh things you mean changing to like woodlot yes yeah um I don't really have an opinion on that. I know that, like, uh, a number of my clients, for instance, have agreements with all sorts of forestry companies, right? And it's just about how that agreement gets managed, um, and, and what the, what the approach of the individual corporation is to, to those, like, agreements, whether it's good faith or not, right? Okay. Um, and a lot of people have success with larger corporations and smaller corporations, right? Okay. Um, but the, uh, it's I it's I'm glad to hear what you're saying. I wasn't at the Natural Resource Forum. I um a colleague of mine uh did go and said that, you know, there was same as you, like there's lots of recognition now about yep. um 
about the importance of engaging with First Nations. Yeah. All right. Okay. We will be back after this break talking with Andreas Krebs. Community Radio CFISFM needs your support. While our station is run predominantly by volunteers, money is always needed to keep the monthly bills paid as well as for the production of new local programming. Memberships, donations, corporate sponsorships, and advertisers all help to keep your local independent broadcaster functioning. For more information on how you can contribute to this vital part of the Prince George Media Mix, visit our website at cfisfm.ca or give us a call at 250-563-2347. Copar Administration is celebrating 25 years of providing quality employment services to communities in B.C. and Alberta. Whether you are looking for a job or looking to hire, the key is finding the right fit. The friendly team at Copar can help with hiring events, resume, cover letter and interview assistance, wage subsidies, training new hire supports, and more. The best part is all of COPAR's employment services are free. Find the right fit today. Contact COPAR Administration at coparadmin.ca. People for jobs, jobs for people. Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats, founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982. Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Seniors Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available in most items, including pierogies and sausages, and are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from Erladen to Patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Center. Forecast from Environment Canada, cloudy today with a 30% chance of showers beating near noon. Wind from the south at 20 becoming light this afternoon, temperature steady near 4. Tonight, periods of rain ending overnight, then cloudy, wind from the northwest at 20 and a low of 0. For Friday, cloudy becoming a mix of sun and cloud in the morning, northwest winds continuing, a high of 3. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, back with Rez Krebs talking about reconciliation and forestry. And let's segue a little bit into the blueberry, the recent Blueberry Treaty 8 agreement. Sure. What is it properly called? I mean, the, the, it's Blueberry First Nation. Uh, and the, I think the agreement was between the province and the Blueberry First Nation. Uh, and it, you know, it, it did set aside a bunch of areas for restoration. It put, I think it was, God, it's close to $90 million into that restoration, right? Because they are extremely impacted. I mean, that's one of the things, um, it's in the piece, right? Yep. Um, a few years ago, uh, I was doing some research in, in Alberta about um, the impact to caribou, for instance. Uh, and a few years ago, it was true that it's oil and gas exploration that is the number one forestry operation in yes. Yep. Alberta, yep. which I thought was really interesting because all these, they run these seismic lines everywhere, yep. right? And that's when you're flying over. If you ever like, there's all these weird straight lines in the bush. Uh, yeah. I, right? <laughs> I grew up in northern Alberta. Right. The seismic. So you know all yep. about it. Yep. Uh, and that's for exploration, I guess, right? Yep. And so that, like, they, they mow down trees in these weird straight lines. And again, that has had a huge impact on wildlife, huge impact on what we call the ability to meaningfully exercise Aboriginal rights, so those constitutionally protected rights. Um, and so this this case was brought forward by the Blueberry First Nation. I think Yahe was the person's name who actually, like, presented it. Yeah. And, um, and the result was a legal uh, recognition of cumulative effects, right, cumulative impacts. Yes. And so the the province had, 
I think they originally had six months to get a plan together, and it took more like a year and a half. Yeah. Uh, but there's a plan now, and there's there's funding behind it. And, you know, this is... Uh, we're in a real bind in, I would say, the entire interior of the province. It's not just the north here that has been impacted by what is functionally over-harvesting due to the mountain pine beetle infestation. But, you know, all the other industrial impacts, like we're running out of of wood. That's why I would say, like, at the Natural Resources Forum, for instance, I heard the mining... Uh, oh, it was huge. Forum was huge, huge, right? Yep. So there's, like, okay, what's next, right? As we've seen in the Citizen, in that Megabust uh, series, they're talking about, like, there's all these big projects that are coming to an end, and they employ, like... 18,000 people. Yes. Not all of whom are from here. Yeah. But like th- there are some serious issues going on. The next step that, you know, it seems to me that for us to build a future here, there needs to be investment in restoration in order for us to like, and thinking about what our values are. Right. And that's why, frankly, it's, um, it's really important. These, although, uh, some people are critical of this deferral that has been going on. Like the province has been taking baby steps, I would say, mm-hmm. into old growth deferral or and or deferral of like key habitat, right? Like I said, moose aren't just into old growth. They need, they need young they forests need as mix, well. Yeah. yeah, they need a mix. A lot of animals need a mix. Different animals live in different kind of areas. So it's not just about old growth. Um, but they start, they've started this deferral stuff. And it's deferral, if you notice, right? It's not turning into parks. Yeah. It's temporary yeah. initially. While we kind of get our act together and think about what's what's next, um, because the it's really important that we as British Columbians kind of figure out where we can go from here. Yeah. We have an option. Um, we have an option to continue as we're doing now and mow everything down. That would require some, some actual more infrastructure... Um, uh, development like for the for what's left, for instance, because as Canfor is mentioning, like in their in their decision to shut this pulp mill here, yes, it's economical access to yes. the pulp. What what I've heard is that some of those trucks are going 500 kilometers to get what they need to bring it back. Yes, for, right. This is uneconomical now because well, we've stripped it out, right? I mean, you just wonder a little bit, where, where were those financial planners? I mean, they knew this. They knew they this knew when it. they were building these massive mills. Yeah. And they must have done their return on investment and figured out that uh, uh, that it works. I mean... Uh, like on the financial bottom line, they must have... Because surely you would know. And and they've... they You know, as as has been said elsewhere, of course they knew. And they were planning for this, right? They, the... There's always like how much more can 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 we get out of what's left, right? Yeah, and so I want to just touch back briefly on the National Resource Forum, the First Nations uh, indig- and Indigenous uh, presenters there, and just the the population. Uh, my sense was never that a single one of them was into shutting everything down. Yeah, they were. It was they just want to be part of it, and uh, they want their uh, traditional rights recognized and they just want to be part of the conversation. They also want to be part of the wealth building. And I think that is probably where the North will benefit the most. Be like, because like Terry TG actually said, he said, like, we're not going anywhere because we are connected to the land. And I like, you know, my first was like, well, wait a minute, you know, I feel connected to the land, but it's like, it's, it's different. 
because I didn't like my roots aren't here. So I think for those of us who have been a little bit fearful that, oh my goodness, the whole indigenous consultation piece and, and recognizing their rights is going to harm the rest of us. I think actually, I think like I'm hopeful that this will actually mean improved uh, quality of life in the north. Hey, I've heard so Gary Merkel, uh, he's a an indigenous forester and he was the co-author of the old growth report, right? The mm-hmm. thing that that resulted in this in this deferral um, strategy. I've heard him say directly, "Listen, our approach to forests has always been to manage them. Yeah. They're not something that we just sit there and look at cuz they're pretty. Yeah. They're 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 our land has always worked for us, right? Yeah. And and that's the approach. And so there needs to be. And this is the issue: is that how to do that in a modern context? How do you mix it up, right? Yeah. And and I think it's. I think we're at a time where okay, we're we've we've done one thing, right? Uh, Satin Man has this great thing in the province. Talks about like what we're really good at is making dimensional lumber, making sticks, yeah. right? Yeah. For stick frame housing, out of these massive trees. We, we can be good at other things too, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, and, and I think that's where the opportunity lies. That's, I mean, it's, it's going to require a change of thinking. Yeah. So you're a political scientist. How would you, uh, politically, how is, how do you think this will work? You got 10 seconds to finish that. My thing is always that, uh, the people who are impacted need to be part of the decision making process. And that's actually my job. All right. Thank you very much for coming in, Rez. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. We'll be back after this. Your Prince George Symphony Orchestra's main stage season has plenty to offer for everyone. Check out Beethoven's 6th on February 4th. Local singer-songwriters Amy Blanding, Rochelle Van Zanten, and Kim Gucci in concert with the orchestra on April 15th, and guest Henry Shepard on cello May 27th. Tickets and full details are available at pgso.com and from the symphony's office at Studio 2880. Your Prince George Symphony Orchestra's main stage season through May 27th at Vanier Hall. Copar Administration is celebrating 25 years of providing quality employment services to communities in B.C. and Alberta. Whether you are looking for a job or looking to hire, the key is finding the right fit. The friendly team at Copar can help with hiring events, resume, cover letter and interview assistance, wage subsidies, training, new hire supports and more. The best part is all of Copar's employment services are free. Find the right fit today. Contact Copar Administration at coparadmin.ca. People for jobs, jobs for people. Are you a leader who wants to take their leadership to the next level? Do you have an emerging leader on your team who needs support? At Pivot Leader, our Leaders in Business program combines leadership training with one-on-one coaching to help leaders just like you. You'll learn how to deal with people better, handle conflict, hire and keep staff, delegate more effectively, read financial statements, and learn coaching skills to move your team along. There's a less stressful way to improve your outcomes. We can show you how. If you'd like to be a better leader, reach out to us today at pivotleader.com. Pivot Leader will help you grow, train, and sell your business. Preparations are underway for Miracle Theatre's next production, Dancing Lessons. One of the items on the to-do list is finding a sofa bed. A sofa bed is a kind of couch that can be used for sleeping by simply dropping the backrest down. Miracle Theatre will need the sofa bed at the beginning of March. If you have a sofa bed you can lend to the production, please email tedpricepg at shaw.ca or call 250-563-6937. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. 
All right, we're back. So uh, Rez Krebs has left us, but I have Brian Skaken, City Councillor. Welcome, Brian. Good morning to you and good morning to your listeners. Well, good morning. So a lot of people know you. You've been on council how many years or my how many God, times? Well, a third of my life. A third? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm 60 now, so figure that out. 20 years now. Yeah. 20 years. You've seen an awful lot. I have, yes. Wow. From So 20 years ago, that was... Uh, 2003. Yeah, 2002. 2002 is when Yeah, pre-Boundary Road, pre a whole bunch of shopping, you know, like there's just a whole bunch of things that have happened since wow. then. The community's growing. We've had, you know, record housing starts, but, you know, with that comes another, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of other issues that we're trying to deal with. So it's challenging, but, you know, I love Prince George and I'm looking forward to... Well, I've got to touch a little bit on the fact that you have consistently gotten... Have you always gotten the most votes? No. Nope. No, no. In uh, I ran in 1999. I placed uh, 13th out of 23 candidates, and the top eight got in. You placed 13th. So I never of, got of in. How many? 20. 23. 23. And uh, you know, I, I, you know, I hummed and hawed, and I talked to a good friend of mine. I says, I don't know if I'm going to try it again. And he said, Brian, if you don't try it, you might always wonder. Okay. So I ran in 19. Okay. Uh, okay. 2002. Go ahead. Okay, Sorry. but back to 99. Why did? What made you run that first time? Well, I just, I had been involved with the health and safety committee and stuff with unions at the mill. And I thought from my perspective, we just need kind of a working person, sort of blue collar on council because, you know, you had uh, folks like Dan Rogers and a bunch of them that were very well spoken from the media. And I, you know, and I thought, I just want to get in there because I want to represent what I thought was the common folks, not that Dan or other folks didn't, but I just thought, you know what, I just want to go in there, use my skills. Because you knew that, like, I mean, you are a blue-collar worker. Yep. Well, yep. good for you. So I got... Okay, uh, anyway, so back to 2000 or 2022. Yeah, and uh, 2002, I, um, I had, before 2002, I met Dick Harris, and I said, what is the key, Dick? Yeah. And he said, press the flesh. I said, what do you mean? He goes, go knock on doors. So I bet you I did 15, 1,800 uh, homes just with some cheap flyers I got from... Uh, I think it was London Drugs because they had just opened and they oh, it was just black and white. But I went out and I handed them out and save on and all the places I could. And I got in and I got the eighth and final spot. Huh. So I've moved up, you know, since then. I haven't Gosh. always topped the polls, but, you know, I really appreciate the support and uh, it feels good. Wow. I mean, that's quite impressive, actually, because <laughs> because uh, it means that people have liked what you've said. And what do you think is it that has, has brought... Like, do you think it's just the name recognition that has... Part, part of it, but I think people know that I'm willing to speak my mind. I'm willing to hold administration accountable. I'm willing to hold, you know, members of the, like, the body of our council uh, responsible. So I think, it, you know, it's a number of those things. Mm-hmm. And if you ask me my opinion, I'll tell you, you know, I don't sugarcoat things. And, and I always let people know that I haven't been elected to, you know, represent the administration of the city. I'm, I'm there to uh, represent, the you know, the folks in the community. And I think that... You know, they like to hear that. So I I try and live up to that. And I think, I know that some people sometimes go, well, wait a minute, you know, you're, I mean, because I mean, as the staff's employer, uh, you know, you want to be cognizant of that. However, I have to say that in my few months there, I've always found you very respectful. It doesn't mean being, holding someone accountable or responsible does not mean being disrespectful. For sure. For sure. And I've seen that from you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate the work you're doing and the, uh, you know, when Terry McConaughey lost, Terry had always had my back and I always had her back. And I thought, man, you know, 
what am I going to do? <laughs> and, you know, sure enough, you got in and uh, you're willing to call it, you know, or say it like it is, hold administration accountable. And I think I think that's refreshing. So, uh, you know, it's always good when you have someone, you know, some like minded people on council. And I think that's important. And then we have diverse. Yeah, you know, we do. Diverse backgrounds. So that's good. Yeah, we do. Uh, so, um, OK, so you. You ran, what did you say, five times? No, I think it was seven. Seven times, yeah. wow. So are you recycling your signs? Well, what I do is, yeah, the big signs. I don't have little signs. Okay. I get my big four-by-eight plastic signs made in town, and yeah. then I've used them and, and got new lumber. And then even Elections BC makes you have a depreciated value yes. for the old signs. So I used a couple old ones last time, and I yeah. didn't use them all. Okay. And it's funny because on the night before the election, it was a, or two nights, I was up in the BCR industrial site, 7.30 at night, parked on the side of the highway, and I was exhausted from the campaign. I had a couple more signs to put up, and I just thought... I can't do it. I was looking for spots, and I just thought, that's it. It's over. It's let's, just, <laughs> let's just do the election. And so, yeah, I recycle my signs and whatever I can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cause, just because that's interesting. Um, oh, yeah. So, um, anyway, so just, I mean, you are, you you work just in terms of your day job, because you yeah. have a full-time job, yeah. plus you're doing city council, plus you're doing regional district. Which, which I leave to right after Which this. you're leaving to yeah. right after. Or, like, he's going to leave, uh, Brian will leave a, little, a few minutes early. Um, how, what's your day job? Tell me about your day job. Well, I've worked at Camfort Pulp as a power engineer, steam engineer. I've had my, I have my third class ticket. I've been there for just about 35 years. So I produce electricity, steam, uh, process chemicals, run boilers. I've done that for, you know, a long time. It's a, it's a great job. Camfort's been a great employer. And before that, I worked for John Brink out okay. in the bush in a logging camp in a oh. portable sawmill. In the mid-1980s, and that was for the, when the spruce beetle hit. Right. Governments didn't know what to do then, and they, we had the biggest clear cut, I think, in the world. It was 10 miles by 20 miles. Is that the one out by Bower and Lakes? Yes. Okay. So I worked right in the middle of that. So John Brink had the idea of bringing a portable sawmill there and then shipping out the, the milled wood into town, put it in the kilns, and run it through his planer. We even had, uh, I remember one so of So when the, you're talking portable sawmill, like you're not well, talking in this little, these little tiny things? No, we put out, you know, I think it was maybe a couple hundred thousand board feet a day or a shift. Um, you know, everything was kind of permanent, but it was basically uh, most of the mill was no roof, piled huh? lumber and minus 40, whatever it was. Oh, my you know? goodness. And then, and even uh, Quarterband, I forget his first name, one of them had flew out there one day in the mid-80s because he had heard about what John was doing. Yes. And to start their own uh, sort of portable sawmill. So I did oh. that, and then... The, the mill burnt down. We moved to Fort St. James, but I got a, my brother worked at the pulp mill. I got an interview and I got a job, and I was so glad to not have to uh, live in camp. And you know, I started yeah, camp life is 1988 hard. in uh, Camfort Pulp. Okay, so Camfort Pulp. Yes. So are you like it's your division, or is it is your oh, division being shut down, or it's what? Uh, both mills? We have one a CEP local, and then we have the pulp private partners of Canada local. So we're all both mills. Are basically one line of progression. So when the PG pulp shuts down, the senior people from PG pulp are going to come over to my mill, Intercom pulp, and bump the junior people out. So what it is is the philosophy is first in, last out. So we're going to have a number of junior people lose their jobs, which is really unfortunate. And the senior people are going to just try and get retrained and, and work in my mill. So it's a little complicated, but morale is, as you can expect, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's pretty it's bad hard. right now. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, it's time for a break. We'll be back sure. talking with Brian Skaken.
Learn to be confident, express yourself, and make a positive impact during several special occasions. The Community North Advanced Toastmasters is holding a series of virtual special occasions speech workshops Wednesday evenings from 7 to 8 through February 8th. Learn how to give a roast, introduce a speaker, give a toast, speak in praise, and present acceptance award. All four sessions are free, but you are encouraged to make a donation to a local charity. For full details, email Carrie Deschamps at telus.net. The French George Community Foundation is pleased to partner with the Community Foundation of Canada and the Government of Canada to administer the Community Services Recovery Fund in northern B.C. More information on the fund is available online at communityservicesrecoveryfund.ca where you can also explore a resource section and sign up for a webinar on how to apply. Applications for the Community Services Recovery Fund are being accepted through February 21st. iSpark is presenting a free online engagement and education series February 6th to 9th. The workshops introduce important topics that focus on reconciliation and strength for Indigenous women, girls and others through sport, physical activity and recreation. It's four days of learning through unique workshops led by special guest speakers and honorary elder Nella Elson. Registration and full details are available through ispark.ca. The Engagement and Education online webinar series, February 6th to the 9th. Registration deadline is February 5th. Forecast from Environment Canada. Cloudy today with a 30% chance of showers beating near noon. Winds in the south at 20 becoming light this afternoon. Temperature steady near 4. Tonight, periods of rain ending overnight. Then cloudy. Winds from the northwest at 20 and a low of 0. For Friday, cloudy becoming a mix of sun and cloud in the morning. Northwest winds continuing a high of 3. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, back with Brian Skaken, uh, city councillor long-term and uh, steam engineer at... Canfor Pulp. Canfor Pulp. Intercon. So um, you were, we, you just finished off saying that morale is really, oh, is really is. bad. Um, I mean, part, partly you guys knew this was coming for quite some time, right? Well, we knew when I started, one of the mills was always shutting down. Yeah. Really, you know. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to, and like, I mean, this is always how it is, right? Yeah. So, you know, you're junior, you worry about things, you don't want to finance many things. And, but you know, lately it's, uh, and, and because it, it's almost partially self-induced because CAFOR is having curtailments because of lumber prices. Yep. So if there's a chip shortage already, there's, it's going to be worse. So, you know, you could see those things coming. They just announced, I think, Chetwin's shutting down a major yep. sawmill. And Houston. And possibly Houston. Well, they're doing um, a sort of a redevelopment or something. I think so. But, you know, I don't know what that really means. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it sounds like there's not enough fiber out there. So, I mean, we've we've sensed it's coming. So the union's working really hard. And thank God we have a union representing us because... There's a collective agreement. There's certain rules. You can't play favorites when it comes to, uh, you know, letting employees go or, or promoting other ones. So our union is looking at severance packages. Um, we've also been approached, I think, uh, there's been a couple of job fairs from some uh, um, employers employers in the Okanagan. Yeah. And then some of the other, uh, I think Rio, Til- Rio Tinto is looking at, you know, could some of the people come there? Because there's going to be work for the skilled people. Yeah, the trades, but the other ones that don't necessarily have, you know, a, a red ticketed kind of trade. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot more difficult for them. So, well, 
and probably finding work is one thing, but finding well-paid work oh. is another thing, right? So, oh. but um, I just, I mean, I think that's where, like, just coming off of the natural resource sector yeah. or natural resource forum, there's a lot of uh, optimism in that, in oh. especially in mining. For sure. And so, and I, and I know just even, I think it's the Wells Project or the Artemis Gold. I know they're looking like for 400 employees, yeah. right? So, so whether they're they're going to want to move, but you know, a junior employee and you're, they're the ones that junior mid-rank employees are working a lot of overtime. So you could go there at Camp 4, you can make well over $100,000 as a junior employee. Wow. All of a sudden, boom. Yeah. Your job's gone. You know, what are you going to do? What have you, have you bought a new truck? Have you bought sleds and like... You know, have you really uh, financed yourself out? So some people are talking about moving. Mm-hmm. One of my, the guys in my crew is probably going to move to Calgary. Hmm. Some family there, you know, and, and so it's just, it, it's quite sad and it's the nature of the beast. Because when Camp 4 says, you know, we're losing 300 jobs, it's it's 300 people that are losing their jobs. It's 300, you know, families and, and friend and networks. All, it's, oh, yeah, it's massive, the spiral effect. Yeah, yeah. and then I, I think Intercon uses something like 100 chip trucks a day. Mm-hmm. Be trained of chips, PG. You know, there's going to be chip truck drivers. There's going to be welding supply companies. Like they say for every pulp mill job, there's about three or four full-time yeah. spinoff jobs. So, yeah, yeah mining is, um, you know, I'm just hoping that the uh, – the permitting process and all the work that they do is fair, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they don't skip anything. But, you know, mining is going to be good paying jobs. Yep. Yeah, it will. And I think, um, and just like I was talking to uh, Rez Krebs, um, yeah. one, th- one thing that I really noticed at the natural resource sector is that the the natural resource sector has really, I think, come to terms with the fact that, yes, we're going to be working with First Nations. Yep. And of interest to me and it and it just flies in the face of the narrative that we hear so much yeah. is that oh all first nations indigenous people are against any development oh, or no. any, and they're not they were there in for at the resources That's forum good. in force and yeah. uh, i mean of course none of them would claim to speak for all of their their for sure. their i mean just like all of us right yeah. like we you know we might have opinions that our family would disagree with yeah. um but that was really um evident to me is that they're all excited and enthused about going forward together oh. and and hopefully we do a bit of a better job i at- agree and can you know you have to give them credit they've done a lot of work with first nations mm-hmm. uh you know to secure fiber supply and i think really uh, i don't know how all this these dynamics play out but the first nations control a lot of territory a yeah. lot of fiber they're going to have a lot of influence on what goes on. And we talk about consultation, and I think, uh, we, you know, governments need to do a better job of that. But First Nations are, you know, they're a partner in mining. They're a partner in forestry. They're a partner in tourism. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. you know, the, there, there are so many things. And, uh, you know, I'm excited about the future going forward. But uh, Prince George, I think we're fortunate that we have UNBC, you know, Northern Health, AIM High, you know, um, 400 something employees we have some big employees or employers yeah that we can absorb some of this but we need the we need the high paying you know industrial jobs yeah to support yep. a lot of families yeah for sure um do you know uh like just in your role of, of a city councillor do you know what the tax implications are of of the closure of, of the pg pulp line well i um the pulp mill as far as i know uh will still be taxed okay you know, I don't know, um, you know, uh, how they would get around it because it, it's it's still property, it's still owned by Camp 4, it's still a certain zoning. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine um, that that's going to stay the same unless they sell it or they close it. But then the problem with closing a, a pulp mill is a remediation. 
um, the soils, like they would, it, it would be uh, massive amounts of money to probably close them and clean them up. So I don't know what the future is, but it, my understanding is um, they're going to be paying taxes like they normally do. But oh, okay. The, yep. Yeah. And uh, Chris Dalio could uh, correct me and we can ask that question. But, you know, Camphor is a major uh, con- contributor to our tax base. And yeah, that's going to stay for now. Okay. Right. That's uh, well, that's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> At least help to pay for our roads and infrastructure and I all know. that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know. And your first real budget. Yes. Is starting Monday night. Well, I mean, it's not really quite the new council's budget yet, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So there's a number of things we're going to go over, but our administration does a really good job with laying things out. Um, we're looking at, it, you know, I think without any cuts or any deferrals of anything, seven point something percent, which is just. It's it, a bit of a hit, but that is. was, you know, we had uh, that one year where there were no tax yeah. increases at all. And it was like, whoa, because it has a compounding effect. I know, I know. And, you know, for example, I think at uh, the end of November, we ha- hadn't even spent $7 million of the 10 in snow uh, snow reserves. Mm-hmm. or Snow budget. Snow budget. So we're yeah. going to have a little left over there. We still have some safe start money. We still have... The thirty million from the Terrison Reserve. We haven't even decided what to do with that. Like, can we use some of that to pay for some debt? I take some debt servicing off. Like, I think there's a number of options. Mm-hmm. And seven percent. I mean, that would be a huge tax increase. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Well, it's time for a break. We'll be back talking with Brian Skaken. Whether you're fed up with the nozzle failing to fuel your car at the gas station or you're a driver dealing with a flat tire, consumer complaints do not belong on the emergency lines. Ecom has released its annual top 10 list of calls that don't belong on 911. Check out the top 10 at ecom911.ca and find a comprehensive list of alternative resources on their website, nonemergency.ca, and remember to only use 911 for police, fire, and ambulance emergencies. We all need to have difficult conversations at times, especially as a manager. If you want to better handle difficult conversations and achieve positive outcomes, you'll appreciate management skills for supervisors from CNC Continuing Education. Learn common factors in miscommunication, plus all five conflict handling styles and when to use them. Management skills for supervisors runs from 830 to 4, February 21st through 24th. Registration and full details are available through Continuing Education at CNC. Registration deadline is February 13th. The Aboriginal Sports Circle is hosting a 2023 National Aboriginal Hockey Championship May 7th to 13th in Winnipeg. The BC Team Players Selection Camp is March 31st to April 2nd in Kamloops. U18 and U15 female and male Indigenous players are eligible to try out. Registration and full details are available through the iSpark.com. The 2023 National Aboriginal Hockey Championship Team BC Player Selection Camp March 31st to April 2nd in Kamloops. Registration deadline is March 17th. The CNC Research Forest Society has resumed its annual search for environmentally focused projects to support through its legacy fund. The successful applicants will receive up to $50,000 to continue their work sustaining and revitalizing local natural resources. Visit the Research Forest Society Legacy Fund link on the Research Forest page available through the research link under services at cnc.bc.ca for more information and full application details. The deadline for submissions is February 10th. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back with Brian Skaken for our last segment here. Um, 
so Brian, one interesting thing about you is um, is you've got uh, trail cams. Yeah. So yeah. tell us, tell me a little bit about that. Well, I don't hunt, but I have trail cameras out that I've had probably for close to ten years now, off and on. Like I have five out right now. I won't get them till the spring, till the snow melts. But I just post the videos um, and all the pictures on social media. I've had them on Global. I, I submitted one to um, uh, America's Funniest Home Videos. I'm waiting for a word on that. But I've uh, all over the place, Weather Network, and I just want people to see what's going on in Prince George. And most of the incredible videos that I have are done within city limits. Well, I was going to say, so where are these cameras? Well, one of them is close to a neighborhood. I can't say. Okay. And I think development will probably eventually wipe it out. But it's just, it, it's a it's a spot that's, um, there's no water anywhere else. It's a little mud hole. And I get usually a sow bear and two cubs um, in the spring, like this past spring, playing in the water. Um, a sow and a, one cub. I've got grizzly, uh, cougar up by UNBC, wolverine a couple of years ago, which is rare. Yeah, and I've had like just absolutely everything. So I just put it on social media and say, you know, this is what this is what we're about, and it's fun. You know, I love going to get my trail camera uh, cameras and check them out. And quite often the bears, um, I don't know if it's a human scent or the smell of plastic, but they will chew the literal heck right yeah. out of those things. And sometimes they get wrecked, but you know, it's worth it. So. Um, that's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to retire hopefully within a year and a half. Oh, right, yeah, because we were talking about yeah, that. Re- yeah, retire and just, you know, do uh, wildlife photos and trail cams and spend more time in the bush. So I just love, you know, I love it, uh, you know, in Prince George in our areas. There's so much to do outside. And the people that are shut in really like the trail camera stuff too because, they you know, they can't get it out. It brings the outside in. Yeah, and they're like, wow, you know, so it's cool. That's that's a part of who I am. and. Yeah, well, and, and you know, as much as we like to complain about the detrimental effects of social media, yeah. one of the positive effects is stuff like this, right? Like, people can sit at home, like, I mean, if they're shut in, they yeah. can actually get a glimpse of the outside world. Yeah, and what I do is, um, you know, uh, this year I'm going to have, I just do sort of different segments. One of them will be selfies. Mm-hmm. I've got moose, elk, and especially bear right in, in the face <laughs> of my camera, and I got one with this elk. And it's just the eyeball and the big eyelashes, you know, right? And it's just like, it, it's insane. So, you know, it's these up close, uh, really, uh, crazy uh, pictures and videos. So I'll do, I'll do a segment with that and put it on, you know, proudly Prince George or something. But yeah, it's lots of fun. Oh my goodness. Like you should, you should maybe, uh, get a, uh, volunteer at, uh, for, or work for t- tourism PG. You know, I've actually went in there last summer. I met up with some tourists, I think from Wisconsin and Maine, yes. and they were going to Alaska. So I showed them my trail camera videos. And yeah, I, if if I can just share those, I'm thinking about putting on maybe presentations if I can at tourism PG or just other places for tourists and say, you know, this is what. Yeah, this that is would be here. really interesting. Yeah, it's fun though. I mean, you know, and it, it keeps me in shape. I turned sixty. Um, the stress of politics can really be hard on you, so I just try and have a, a bit of balance between politics, family, and well, and your work, and then your hobby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I'm doing lots, but life is good, and uh, you know I think this will be my last term on council, which would be great. He but, says, "I think." Well, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm quite sure, you know, and, and it's great working with you, Trudy. You you bring a lot to the table, and uh, so it, it's exciting. Well, that's good. So, um, okay, let's just finishing up. Then let's just go back to the city. So, what do you what are you hoping to accomplish in this next uh, few years? Like, what would you see like to see happening? Oh, I mean. I'm going to talk to a business person about the downtown and the encampments, and that's just, it has been such a difficult uh, moral and, I guess, legal battle um, trying to get something done. And I'm going to the regional district in a few minutes, and right in front of there, there's an encampment. 
and the property's been absolutely destroyed. Mm-hmm. You know, the businesses downtown have been devastated by this. And, you know, talking to Mayor you and yourselves and a few other on, others on council, I mean, I, I think we, you know, we know what we have to do, but we're not exactly sure how we do it because the courts have kind of tied our hands. So that's one of the big things is... Um, is the downtown issue and, you know, transparency at City Hall. People need to know how your taxes are spent um, and things like that. Yeah, okay. Um, oh, we have a few minutes left. Um, so in terms of the downtown, um, because that is sort of the most pressing issue, and, yeah. like, and I think for, like, to me, I, I look at are the situation that we have as hopefully a temporary one because, I, I mean, I feel that it's, we're almost in emergency situation and, but I'm hopeful that it should just like being in this spot where we're at now, that that is a temporary thing. So what are some of the things that you're hearing back from, from business owners, from the advocates um, and the people who provide services downtown? What are you, what are some of the things that you're hearing? Well, the businesses are rightfully sore at their wits end. I mean, I'm talking to a couple of businesses that are going to start blockading alleys. Mm -hmm. They don't want any more fires in the alleys. Um, you know, and then you talk to some of the people that are in the social service portion. I mean, I think it's really challenging for them because we've had like low barrier or no barrier housing now. Yeah. So you're dealing with more unpredictable, uh, high, you know, clientele. And then um, BC Housing is doing an amazing job building uh, more suites and affordable housing. But people are moving to Prince George. Oh. And, uh, you know, I think we had uh, BC Housing probably within the last year and a half, probably a couple hundred units that they put online but i think last count earlier last year was still 180 people that were hmm. you know on the streets and they could build another 100 and there would we'd still, still have be. more people coming here so i think you know all the outlying areas have lost a lot of the social services and that's what prince george is the hub for all sorts of things hmm. work drugs um so, you know so do you think part of the solution might be to work with because i mean because when somebody moves away from their hometown especially somebody that's marginalized, yeah. they lose, like, the argument could be made that they're losing more than they gain by coming here. Of course. And so is is maybe that part of a, this, the thing that we need to talk about with our neighboring communities and it saying, is. hey, guys, we need to actually advocate with the province or yeah. just insist, hey, we need these services yeah. in our towns so that, for one, that they're not losing their communities, yeah, yeah. and for two, that so that uh, you know the city of Prince George yeah. isn't just inundated with with like because it takes an awful lot of human capital to yeah. deal. Well, you know what? Sorry, there was a, someone I talked to. They had one of their friend's daughters, nineteen, some mental health issues, moved from Smithers mm-hmm. to Prince George, and, yeah. and it's probably on the street. So you lose track of them; they're yeah. vulnerable. Yeah. So really, it's our northern partners. I think have to step up. Yeah. And, and acknowledge that, you know, they're, uh, I guess that section of the society, like the, the ones with mental health issues and that are leaving their communities. Yeah. It's less of a burden on them, but it's, it's more of a burden on us. Well, so. and it's a loss of human capital for yeah. these communities, right? Like, I mean, all the, yeah. like, small communities are suffering with loss of people. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's actually, I hadn't even thought of that one before. That's actually so, a really good point you bring. And you can't give up hope on any of these folks. So yeah, when that young girl come here in 19, I just thought, oh my God. Yeah. You know, what, what, uh, what are the people at Smithers thinking? But it's, it's real. 
Yeah. It's a bigger issue, but there's a number of things that I think we can do and, and we have to do. All right. And I think a new council has a bit more energy and hopefully we'll get that done. Thank you so yes. much for coming in, Brian, and, and have a good day. Yeah. And thank you for all you're doing on council. All right. Okay. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. This is Community Radio 93.1 CFISFM, proudly supported by Prince George businesses like Copar Administration.